Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, it's Hugh Ballou and Russell Dennis on this version of the non the Nonprofit Exchange. And, um, a dear friend who I see too too rarely. Uh, we we've have we've been talking virtually, but now we're we're together. And I said, why don't we talk about some things that uh, are on your radar? And Mark S. A. Smith, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Such a delight to be here. Thank you, Hugh. Hello, Russell, and hello, friends on Facebook. Welcome. We've got a lot of interesting things to talk about because 2018 is going to be an astounding year. Yes, I said 2018. You might be listening to this in 2020, 2024. But you know something? I think that probably what we're going to talk about today will still be issues even in the next five to ten years or opportunities, as the case may be. We so, uh, we've heard messages that are timeless, but you're right. We're just turning, turning the page into 2018 as we're recording this. And um, if you're aware, you're a regular listener to the Nonprofit Exchange, you know you can go to thenonprofitexchange.org and you can see the video versions of these, but you can go to iTunes and download The Nonprofit Exchange. So Mark, you're in a series of really powerful interviews that we've done over three years. We're starting our fourth year of these, uh, these great interviews. And what we endeavor to do more often than not is find people that have business expertise and let's install that particular business expertise into the charity. It might be a church or a synagogue or a membership organization or a community foundation, but it's some sort of philanthropic work that we're doing. Um, let's, let's, before we get into the subject matter, which I'm going to hold off and giving people a title, tell people a little bit about Mark Smith and uh, why are you able to talk about this topic today? I help people sell complex, expensive, high consideration things as fast as humanly possible. I'm an electrical engineer, so therefore I'm a systems thinker. I have recovered. I don't sell or do engineering very much, but I do help people sell complex things. That is where you have multiple people involved in making the decision. Each person has a different view of what creates value and what we need to do. Sounds an awful lot like this nation, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So how do you round up consensus? How do you head people all the same way? And just like um, when we're working with nonprofits, uh, herding cats is what we have to do. It's the same thing when you're selling expensive technology. So what I'm doing here is applying all the things that I've learned about selling very expensive things to the world of nonprofits. It ends up it's absolutely identical. And I to do work with a nonprofit. I'm on a nonprofit board here in Las Vegas where I live and I've been involved in nonprofits throughout my life. So I understand and I'm delighted to share with you this business acumen. As I like to tell people, nonprofit is not a business plan. It's a tax status. <laughs> it's not a philosophy. No. That's um, right. And uh, you're very active on social media, especially Twitter. And, um, you, you put out little short memes with a, s a few words on it, but I, I gotta tell you, they, they're very thought provoking. They, they help me focus on what's important. Well, I'm honored that that, that happens. Thank you. Lou. Thank you. And there's been this coincidence of you, you're tweeting on the things that we're actually talking about 
um, sometimes simultaneously. So that, I find that to be fascinating. So, well, the issues are the same here, whether it's nonprofit or the for-profit world, the issues we face are frankly identical. Yeah, yeah. And I laugh when business leaders say, oh, that might work in the church, but it ain't going to work in the <laughs> Or the other, the other side is that the religious leaders say that might work in business, but that won't work in the church. Oh. <laughs> if it's true anywhere, it's true everywhere. It um, works. We're humans but, working with humans. I think we've stalled long enough in telling people what the topic is. <laughs> so what is the topic? Russell wants to know. All right, Russell, you ready? All right, today's topic is how to get the most out of this year, which happens to be 2018. We're going to talk about five trends that are going on that you need to know about as the leader of your nonprofit to stay ahead of the game, to grow and to prosper heading forward. And some of the things we're going to talk about are uh, technology and some things we're going to talk about are psychology. So say that last sentence again. That caught me off guard. Here it is. Did you know I do that to you and you do the same for me when you're speaking. So this, <laughs> this is the way this works out. Some of the things we're going to talk about are technology, understanding the technology that nonprofits have to be embracing and keeping track of and staying up with. And some of it happens to be psychology. What is happening <laughs> in this, the general zeitgeist of the world and how they impact nonprofits, whether you think they do or not, they do. Your constituents, your members, your uh, your flock, all are impacted by what they see in the news and what they experience with retail and what happens in the business world. And they carry those attitudes and insights into your organization, whether you want them to or not. And so we have to manage that. We have to deal with it. And we have to capitalize it wherever possible and perhaps even neutralize it in some cases. That's what I mean by psychology. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, we get, I think we're guilty in any discipline. And I know in the church, I've heard people say to somebody, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Um, we all, we all live in the reality of today. Um, and I can say that I served the church for 40 years and uh, probably got into that space myself. So I, I put in very carefully numbered bullet points and noticed that I numbered them wrong. So I gave the title a number, but I, our first one is called omni-channel. Mm-hmm. So, right. about that. Tell us what. All that right. Means. So, listener, have you ever had the situation where you were multitasking, perhaps watching television and checking your telephone for messages or tweets, or maybe even reading the news story you were watching on TV simultaneously to see if what you were seeing on TV made sense to other news channels? That's omni-channels, my friend. The reality is that we are multi-screening. We are getting information from multiple locations at all times and all ways. And what this means to nonprofits is that you have to be able to bring your message, bring your service to your constituents in every way that they consume information. So just by a show of hands, who here has for your organization? Yeah, it's my hand. Here's my other hand. On the other hand, uh, there you go, both hands. I like it. Uh, there you go, all 10 fingers right there, or eight fingers and two thumbs. The, um, sometimes I'm just all thumbs. <laughs> the, <yeah. laughs> Thank you, Russell. The, uh, do you have an app? 
do you have the opportunity of having your constituents consume your services, your ideas, your podcasts, your sermons via a dedicated app that would alert them when something new comes, becomes available? Are you using the technology to your benefit? Now, if you're doing that, fantastic. Just stay with it. You have to understand that we live in an omni-channel world. We're consuming on many, many, many different things, many different ways. So mobile apps, partner locations, maybe figuring out other locations for people to access your services. Where do your constituents go that you could have a kiosk or a corner or something like that where people can plug in, enjoy, mm -hmm. take advantage of, be reminded of, contribute to, consume, whatever it is that you're bringing to the marketplace? Now, since I don't know what your nonprofit is, we're just sort of spraying and hoping that you're going to catch a couple of ideas here. But the, it, the concept here is you need to be everywhere that your people are every time you possibly can be. And the reality is if you're a church, people are carrying around sermon in a box, you know, in, the, in their mobile device. So chunk things up into five-minute pieces to give them a chance to remind and refresh and renew. And... If you're supplying educational elements, uh, keep pushing out opportunities for people to learn and to refresh. And if you're supplying the opportunity for people to volunteer, if they're standing in line or waiting at a traffic light and they can pull out their mobile device and they can contribute something in some sort of thought-provoking way, let them do so. That's what we mean by omni-channel. Take advantage of that any way you possibly can. You said something about five-minute segments, remind, refresh, and renew. Yes. Tell us more about that. Well, what I'm finding is short segments of content that provoke people. Just like when you read something from me on Twitter, it, uh, you're, you're telling me that I'm, I'm inspiring you, I'm provoking some thoughts, I'm causing you to think about some new things, maybe connect some new dots. Those tweets, the, the bulk of them are 140 characters. There's some that run a little bit longer thanks to Twitter's new length limits, but uh, it's a very short little boom. It's a little thought bomb that goes off in your brain. And as a nonprofit, most of us are in business to inspire, to have people live a better life, to, to improve their condition, to stay on target, to stay on task, to stay on the straight and narrow. And that requires constant reminders you know, the thing to keep in mind is, for example, if you're a church, or if you're an organization where people come to, to see you once a week or once a month, it's not enough. <laughs> They're bombarded by all these other messages and all these other counter messages that they may not wish to consume. And our job is to remind them that there is another way of thinking. There is another opportunity. There is a better potential for them that they've already volunteered to to be a part of. So if we can chunk our messages, either from a text standpoint, or from an audio standpoint, or from a short video standpoint, to refresh and renew and remind themselves. And there's a reason why those of us who have a spiritual practice, it's a daily practice, if not hourly. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's so, that is so important. Um, I think the biggest flaw I see in organizations is when people say, well, they should know better because we told them that. And like they told them that in 1903, have you repeated it since then? You know, it's well, here's, here's the problem, friends, is you may have told them that, but the other side has told them their viewpoint a thousand times between uh -huh. the last time you said it. Ah, uh ah. -huh. 
So um, omni-channel, when I first saw that point, <laughs> it, it, I thought it was a piece of software. So Russell's over there taking, taking good notes. So Russell, you want to weigh in on this multi-channel, uh, multi-touch point? It's really, Mark, what you're doing is top of mind marketing, isn't it? Yes. Let's just keep reminding them what we, they've asked us to remind them of. Hey, hey. So Russell, he's been... He's been very, very polite. So he's been quiet. He's been smiling. He's given me thumbs up, and he's also muted. Not anymore. <laughs> we can quickly fix that. <laughs> Greetings and salutations, Mark. Good to see you again. It's been a while. And uh, I was just typing that uh, when you when you're out there in multiple places, where your people are, and that's the important thing to figure out is where are your people and getting out there and getting in front of them. We, we're in a short attention span society. And so uh, if you're not out there online, you're kind of left behind. It's not a fad. It's not a trend. It's here to stay. Well, I, think, I think it's also in person. You know, where do your people hang out? Yes. So, so I'm here on Omnichannel as virtual as well as live. Absolutely. Physical, too. It has to do with digital signage, for example. Digital signage is omni-channel. Most of us have digital signage in our houses of worship. And, you know, as I pointed out, as, you, as we talked about, where are they? Let's see if we can put a digital sign in the places where our people hang out to remind them of the messages that they have agreed to consume. Great, great. Um, now, number two, how the growing economy, now we're we're sitting at the, the top of 2018. The market's, stock market's been growing. There's over 100 companies that um, announced uh, employee dividends and financial yes. expansion of programs since the, uh, the tax bill passed at the end of 2017. There's all kinds of energy in the economy. So talk about how that benefits the nonprofit sector. We are sitting at the highest consumer satisfaction index of all time. And I think it's for a number of reasons. One is that a lot of people are feeling good about themselves again. A lot of them have hope for the future. A lot of them feel that in spite of the noise that we hear on the mainstream news on a regular basis, that locally their communities are doing well. And more people have jobs and more people have, are feeling good about what's possible. And certainly my business has substantially increased, as you pointed out, yours has too. And a big part of it is that my customers are, are looking forward to growth and therefore investing in opportunities to grow. So as a nonprofit, you can plug into this, this feeling of goodness and growth, asking for more than you could ask for in the past, requesting more, um, asking people to donate more for, for perhaps more time, for, for perhaps uh, a higher level of investment of themselves into the organization. When people are feeling good, they say yes to opportunities because it doesn't feel like it's so heavy. It doesn't feel like it's such a burden when we have those, uh, as when we're not feeling good about ourselves. When we feel depressed, it's very hard for people to feel good about themselves. So what makes people say yes to I me? Mean, I, I, st I still have oh, lots of... What a great question. I'm so glad you asked it. What makes people say yes is because your request is in alignment with their personal identity. Whoa. Whoa. Hey, Russ. 
is what's that trigger with you? Oh, Lyme, it's everything. You know, everything revolves around relationships now. People are starting to figure that out. It doesn't matter what business you're in. Now you have to build relationships. You know, in the old days, you could just blurt out at people. There were very few places for them to get a message. So they were fed by three big networks, uh, messages, and, uh, you know, Think about Henry Ford, you know, uh, when he talked about the Model T, uh, they can have any color they want as long as it's black. And uh, now people have choices and they, they have different avenues for expression and, uh, and they have short attention spans. So you've got to resonate with people because they will look for another cause uh, if, uh, if they feel like they're, they're not being... Uh, uh, romance, so to say. You've got to keep that connection some type of way, keeping them informed, uh, keep uh, thanking them, showing them the impact that they're making, and uh, and stay with it because people people change. There are so many different causes that they can get involved with now. So it's like anything else, you know, to maintain that sort of brand loyalty, as it were, you've got to, you've got to connect with your tribe. And people want a sense of connection and a sense of accomplishment. And younger people coming into the workforce want to do work that matters. Mark, I, I pinged um, Russell because many times in the interviews, he helps us remember that whether you're recruiting board members or you're talking to donors, we have to think about what it is they want. What right are they interested in? What do they want to achieve? So there's, right. there's a messaging piece that I was, I was kind of – homing in on here, how do we, um, how do we form our message so that we do connect with that like-minded person? It's, you, well, I think we get, let's get back to the concept of, the, of identity, personal identity. People buy things to support their identity or they buy things or engage in things to help them transform their identity into a new place that they desire to be. Mm-hmm. And it's a really important concept because all sales, all marketing, all recruiting, all conversion happens when a person sees their identity as that which you are offering as a nonprofit. And that transformation for a lot of people is where we're heading. People, as people grow, they transform. As young people go from high school to college, they're transforming. As they go from college into the workforce, they're transforming. And that personal identity, how you view yourself and how you want to be viewed by your, and Russell, you said it right on, tribe. We choose our tribe and those choices that we make determine our tribe. And in, uh, in a model that I've generated, those tribe decisions are mission critical. And the reason why is because if you make the wrong choices, the people who you might like may just stop calling you back. They may just quit inviting you out. They just might (laughs) leave you on your own. And that's where that personal identity comes into play. Identity happens way more than people realize. And a great example of that is is sports. So so Russell, do you consider yourself a a sports fan? I I love it. Yeah, do do, do you have a team? I, uh, I believe it or not, I root for the Cleveland Browns. Well, see, there you go. And, and why, would, why the hell would an intelligent man like you root for such a losing team when a, logically, a logical person would pick a winning team to root for? Well, you know, I grew up there. I That's had, it. 
I haven't lived there. Yes. And almost, you know, it's it's been close to 40 years since I lived there. But, you know, home is home. It's part and, of uh, your We're finally getting some traction with basketball and football. Uh, it's part know. of your core identity. Yeah. yeah. It is so deeply ingrained in your core identity that I couldn't get you to wear an opposing team's clothing even if I paid you. That's the power of identity. And when you as a nonprofit can tap into that identity, that's where you really get that brand experience where people refuse to go anywhere else. But you have to keep reinforcing the identity and you have to make sure that the identity that you're offering continues to shift in the proper direction over time. Now, in a growing economy, people have the opportunity of, of transforming that identity. And that's really where we're going with this number two point is it gives you a chance to, to perhaps recruit people, to bring people in that you just hadn't been able to before because they couldn't afford it or they didn't have the bandwidth, they didn't have the money. Now they do. And so get very, very clear, a definitive, passionate audience that wants to be recognized or grow their identity can help you as an organization grow. Get really clear, get really sharp about this, and it's going to be a, have a massive impact for you in 2018. Cool? And, and absolutely. You talked about unemployment, but actually yeah. the numbers show that the unemployment figures in January, uh, end of the year of 2017, were the lowest they've been in, in forever. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, but there's still people who are underemployed. They're not unemployed. They're under. And in fact, those underemployed people are the ones that, that are perfect for volunteers. And the reason why is because as humans, we like to feel like we make a difference. Russell, as you pointed out in in the last comments that you were making is we, we really want to feel like we're doing good. Like we're making a difference. And when we're underemployed, we don't have that feeling that we're living up to our potential. And so people in that environment can be invited to fulfill that in a nonprofit volunteer type of situation. And whether it's an executive who is, who is moved to a lower position, who needs to give back and still provide that strategic input, that is the perfect person to capture, for example. Or perhaps the stay-at-home mom that went back to work because she's that because her kids are out of school uh, out of the house and as she enters back in she really doesn't go back in at the top level where she started so she comes comes in at a little lower level and she needs to fill that gap of feeling good about herself until she can be promoted up to that new level that's the opportunity that you as a nonprofit can fill so um, you spoke earlier. Um, you spoke spoke earlier about working with a local nonprofit there in um, in Las Vegas, where you live. Why did you say yes to that? Well, for two reasons. Uh, one is that I have an expertise that the association can use. I can benefit the association in quite a few different ways because of my deep history in business and as a professional. And that association also allows me, it's, it feeds me in that I get to be with other people whose future is my history. 
And so I get a chance to give back because if I rewind my life back 30 years, I was the person who was being served by the, by the mentor who I get to be today. So your, your input is important to shaping the future of their work. And they have a desire to have a similar experience, life experience that I had. And I think that's, you know, when, you were, when we were looking for a mentor, this was probably one of the best pieces of advice that I've had in my life is if when you're looking for a mentor, look for somebody whose history is your future because they can help you plot the path. And while your path will be slightly different, the, the fundamentals won't be that far off. Russell, did you capture that last comment? He throws in the... I, I did not. I was in the process of typing that. I don't type very quickly, you know. But this is interesting because what we're talking about, there are three things that nonprofits need, time, talent, and treasure. Right on. And we get obsessed with the money and forget about time and talent. And especially with people who are underemployed, people have different motivations for joining you. Yes. So w when you're clear about what it is you're trying to do you and you've inventoried all your assets, which include time, uh, uh, talent, skills, knowledge, abilities, that's all assets to the nonprofit. When you can, can leverage that and get other people, it's like money in the bank because you go out, you build relationships, you get sponsors for media, uh, cash sponsors, you go out and get people to to contribute pro bono services. You bring students in, you bring professional firms. You know, there's a, there's a number of different ways to approach getting pro bono talent. But it's when you're clear on who you are and what you need, you can offer these folks sometimes. Maybe they need to build their portfolio. Maybe they're retired and they just want to give back. Maybe they're entering the workforce. Maybe they're underemployed and they want to have some projects and creations of their own. So you can set that table when you're clear on what it is that people want. They're going to come support you and, and always just kind of keep uh, evaluating, uh, putting challenges out there for them to stretch and to grow, invest in their learning. Uh, they've got reasons to stick with you in, in that case. Right on. I think that if you get the time and talent right, the treasure follows automatically. And the reason why is what is money? It's, it is a reward for doing what others want. It's canned labor, another way of looking at it. <laughs> Canned labor, but meaningful labor. It's not standing at a, at a copy machine all day. And that's right. Coffee. It's actually creating things. Yeah, building a social media strategy, writing policies. It's endless. It's endless the number of things you can find uh, volunteers to, to do that they can help support your organization with. Yes, even fundraising. So uh, sky's the limit. It's up to your own creativity and, and finding out what moves people. And right. If they don't have what, any money, they probably have time and talent. So, and they probably know people. Yeah. And there's also ways of converting some of that talent and some of that time into treasure. And if you think about it, that's what a business does. It converts time and talent into treasure. And as a nonprofit, you can do exactly the same thing. Your, stack, your tax status permits that to happen. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, well, money is also a reward for providing value. Right on. Mm -hmm. yep. Another way to keep score. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one that we universally agree upon as a way of keeping score. Yes. Well, and, and back to where we, we were talking at the beginning of this interview about installing sound business principles into the charity, and I'm using charity purposefully here. Sometimes we use the word nonprofit, which spins us into this scarcity thinking that we can't generate a profit. Well, the profit's what pays for the work of the, the philanthropic work of the organization. Right. So, yeah, like you you said, um, it's it's not a business plan, it's not a philosophy, it's a tax classification nonprofit. It's really tax exempt, mm -hmm. um, a tax exempt work. So I am, um, you know, we're we're getting a lot of useful content today about leveraging what's around us instead of getting stuck in our our hole, our silo. So you ready to move to the next one? This is Let's do it. I think we've beaten that a topic up a little bit. I like it. New leadership demands. What's called, what's changing and how do we stay out in front? I remember uh, years ago, people were hiring the motivational speaker. Motivate. <laughs> Give me rah-rah. Then people left the room and it was over. Um, people aren't hiring motivational speakers. They're hiring people with solid, executable content. Mm -hmm. So what's changed in the leadership segment? What are you thinking about? So what I see is the more informational speaker and inspirational speaker versus motivational speaker. Let's talk about that. Then we'll then we'll go on to the uh, the topic of what's changing with leadership. So the um, the difference between a motivational speaker and an inspirational speaker is actually fairly simple. If we go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which I see as a fundamental to everything that we do, both within the charitable sector as well as the business sector. Those lower two levels of Maslow's hierarchy are is uh, physical needs and then security, and within those two levels, you can motivate people, and it's based basically a pain-based motivation, or perhaps even a carrot motivation. But once we get to that next level where we have love and self-esteem, and we move up to self-actualization, that's where inspiration comes into play. And so if people are in pain, you got to motivate them. And if people are out of pain, then you can inspire them. Don't try to be inspirational when people are hungry and tired and scared. That doesn't work. And it's just frustrating. And they'll nod their head and do what they need to do to get the hell out of your view so they can go get some food or drink or get warm or whatever, okay? We have to help people. Uh, to the third, at least the third level of Maslow before we can start to inspire them. And so with that in mind, that's, you know, from a leadership standpoint, understanding your leadership is 100% contextual on the state of the person and ultimately the team that you're working with. Now that's, that's not a blinding flash of the obvious to most of you, but we have to keep, be, keep being reminded of that because a lot of the traditional leadership um, mantras that we hear are being offered from the top of Maslow's hierarchy. <laughs> but a lot of the people we are leading are way down the hierarchy, and we have to remember that sometimes it's just, you know, giving them a shoulder to cry on and, and, and taking them out to lunch or buying them a cup of coffee. Sometimes that's all the leadership they need in that moment. Wow. 
That's a that's a paradigm shift. So, uh, what are you thinking there, Russ? Are you smiling? Well, yeah, the, the thought came to mind that you know, great leaders uh, are always have a pulse on where their people are because no two people are in the same place. You know, uh, cookie cutter leadership doesn't work. I mean, it may have worked back at the turn of the century, the twentieth century. It didn't work then either, Russell. I hate well, to tell you, pal. It just was misreported. Yeah, <laughs> they were consistent and they pushed it. It's like get in line or go work somewhere else. And uh, But that doesn't work, uh, you know. And so good leaders build other leaders around them because that's what makes a great leader look good. He's got people that can execute where he can delegate or she can delegate. And she's doing high-level functions. And, you know, sometimes you've got high-performance individuals and it's really hard uh, when they've been uh, they've been driving the train for a long time, it's really difficult for them to take a step back because they've got their vision and it's their baby and they have a hard time taking a step back. And so uh, this is a, a way that leaders have to grow in. And uh, if if people in the workforce today aren't getting work that means something, they, they move on. So uh, do yourself a favor and let other people help you. Right on. Right on. I think some of the things that we have to take a look at from a change standpoint is that our millennial culture, I raised five millennial children. None of them live at home. I consider myself to be a success. <laughs> they, they don't put up with ultimatums. You know, they'll just raise their middle finger and wave you goodbye. And so the, the reality is that leadership is now voluntary. It always was voluntary, but now it's absolutely voluntary. Mm -hmm. People accept leadership voluntarily and in, in the charitable organizations always been voluntary. So we have to become a whole lot more about what is it that you're looking for? How can I help you grow? Where do you want to go? What do you need to help get you there? Can we help you get there? And so it's a lot more of the let's figure out where our, tribe needs to go and bring that to them. So I think that's a big component of that. We raised our children to question authority. You know, the, the millennials that, uh, that, that the, the, the boomer generation just shakes their head at, I, I'm a boomer. Friends, I raised that generation. I raised them to be what I wanted to be when I was their age, which was had the freedom to ask questions and to push back and to say, that's really stupid. Why do you make that? And back when I was a kid, of course, that earned a slap across the face. So I learned to shut up very quickly. But, you know, I let my kids ask those questions. And they were hard questions. They made me a better man. But it also means that no longer will military-style authoritarian leadership work. It has to be collaborative leadership. And I think that really is where it changes. But how do we do collaborative leadership? It's dead simple. You just ask people. You ultimately, as the leader of your organization, get to make the decision. But you also have to have that collaboration of how we arrive at the destination. You're responsible for the destination, and then we collaborate about how we get there. That is what I see as being a major shift. And that's especially true in nonprofits because we do attract some capable people. And then we think we have to do it as the leader. 
because a we don't want to bother them they're volunteers or they're busy in their real life but wait a minute that's why they showed up you got it i set that one up good yeah Yeah. and you're you're really interfering (laughs) with what somebody has come to do yes but that seems like a logical step but it but that's a huge problem and in uh Bowen Leadership Systems, Murray Bowen created this whole, as a psychiatrist, this whole leadership methodology. And, and he talks about that as being over-functioning. And the reciprocity to over-functioning is under-functioning. And especially when you have a boomer, me, and you're talking to millennials, like our editor of the magazine, Todd, it's very clear. He says, tell me where you want to be and then let me get there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not nobody likes being told the steps or micromanaged millennials like it the least of any particular segment, but you, you raised five millennials and I don't see any wounds on your body. No, actually I'm a much better, a much, much better man. Before I, before I raised my five millennial kids, I was a jerk. Really? Yeah, man. I knew everything and I knew exactly how to do it and I could prove it. And if you didn't believe me, I'd write a book about it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, I, 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 I just sense that pleasure. But here's the thing, Mark. They'll be back. And they're yeah, going to they bring more with them. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to get better and better and better and more disruptive and more delicious. And so, these so are three human beings. This is a story of this conductor. You know, conductors are known to have healthy egos. Yeah, there's right. this conductor that walks into this restaurant where there's a whole bunch of musicians. And one person stood up on one side and said, hey, all conductors are jerks. And then, whoa, he got back like this. On the other side, somebody stood up and says, hey, I resent that comment. So the conductor looked at him and says, hey, are you a conductor too? He says, no, I'm a jerk. <laughs> I love That's it. A- that's a reframed uh, lawyer joke. Sorry. Well, the way that I like to talk about conductors is conductors are really highly skilled. They can play every instrument in the orchestra. They can, but not well enough to make a living. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but they're, they're, at the nice end of the show, your tickets on the train either. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> But, but the, the model you're talking about is the connector doesn't tell them step to step what to do. No. The connector says to the oboe player, the violinist, or whatever, this is the effect I want. Here's the result I want right by right the on. process. So right. I wanted to segue into that as a model for what you're talking about. Yes. And that's been a consistent model over the decades. But if we look at that in today's, today's world, um, leadership is, is profound influence. Yes. And not the micro that you're, you're talking about, do this, do this, do this. You, uh, it's a nuance of, of engaging people and empowering people to raise the bar. That's the essence of uh, transformational leadership, really, is building a culture of high performers that respond to you. Um, so, so we're looking at what has changed, but also we're looking at, uh, earlier you talked about transformation. Yes. So there's a transformation in ourselves before we can be effective. Is how does that link with what you're talking about? Everybody that I know is going through some form of transformation. They're trying to add another a new skill. They're trying to let go of an old habit that they see as not serving their life any further. 
there may they may be uh, going through a spiritual revolution where they're going from less spiritual to more spiritual. It may be that they're looking for a physical transformation, losing weight, adding uh, adding muscle, adding health, and those transformations always trigger help because if we could do it on our own, we already would have. And so we need either skills or encouragement or motivation or a tribe to travel with. And let's talk about transformation for just a minute. Let's, let's have some fun with this. And, uh, and I know that we've bumped into, I think you bumped into this idea with me before, Hugh, and let's just talk about it. I think we have enough time. It's actually fairly simple. There's fundamentally a seven-step process in transformation, mm -hmm. plus a step zero and a step minus one. Ooh, ooh, do tell. And the first half is about belief, and the second half is about knowledge. Because the difference between belief and knowledge is a manifestation into the physical world. So step Minus one is where they want to go. The transformation they want to enjoy is invisible. They can't even see it. It's not even within their awareness, not even possible. I hadn't even thought of it. And if you as a, a charitable organization want to find new people, part of your job is to message the outcome that you deliver so that we can take the people that don't even see that as an opportunity into something that's, that's, uh, that is within their awareness. But the step zero going from impossible or invisible is to impossible. That's the step zero. Oh, that's impossible. I could never do that. I don't see how that's possible. That's step zero. So the transformation starts when they go from the impossible to, hmm, that could be possible. You mean you've got a thousand people in this community that has made this transformation? wow, you, you've, you've helped that many people? So, so it is possible. And then the next step is to probable. So I could, I could probably do this. I may not know, have, have all the answers. I may not know my path yet, but this is, this is probable. I, I could do this. Then the, the third step moves to inevitable. This is going to happen. Yeah, oh yeah. Let's make this happen. Yeah. All right, so yeah. minus one is where invisible. do you want to go? Decide on the outcome. Minus one is invisible. Don't invisible. even know it's possible. Invisible. Okay. Step Fifth. zero is impossible. Okay. One is yep. possible. Possible. Two is probable. Two is probable. And three is inevitable. Inevitable. Russell. This is gonna happen. I know how to do this. Woohoo! Help me. Russell is scribing these. He's capturing your brilliance and steps. Okay. All right. So that is all. That is all based on increasing belief because the transformation has not yet become physical. It's still non-physical. It's thought, and that's about it. Now we cross over from the non-physical to the physical, from the belief to the real, and that is step five is real. Step rather, step four is real. We go from in inevitable to real, and then from real to sustainable. I did it. Okay, let's do it again. I can do this anytime I want. That's sustainable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then we go from sustainable step five to step six, which is normal. I do this all the time. <laughs> yeah, sure, of course. 
I, I, I could, I, this is just part of my life, to step seven, which is historical. I've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if we're working people through a transformational process, impossible, invisible, impossible, possible, probable, inevitable, real, sustainable, normal, historical. If we can run people through that process, then we can help them through their transformation. But here's the most important aspect. You can't take somebody from impossible to inevitable in one step. That's the psychology of leadership. We have to help them move from impossible, from impossible to probable. And we have to help them move from probable to inevitable. We have to help them move from inevitable to, to real. And each one of those is a step as, as we're crossing this, this chasm, this, let's just call it a, a river from impossible to historical going from one side to the other and every step is a slippery rock that as they reach out with their foot, it may feel like, I don't know if I can do this. And our job as leaders is to hold their finger, <laughs> hold their hand. <laughs> when I was raising my kids, we would do the, you know, kids were going across these rocks. I'd just give them a finger. All they had to do was hang on to my finger. And that was enough to give them the confidence to take the step. So my kids would grab that finger and I could, we, could, we could move our, you did this, right? Russell, you've done this with your kids. You know, you just give them a little bit. They don't need a lot. They don't, we don't need to hold them. We don't have to hold them, you know, in an airman's grip. We just have to give them a finger to hang on to. Well, you don't want to carry them. You give them that finger and they, they you know, it's just enough. Less is more. That's right. More and they step into that power. And that's what it's about. And, that's you right. Know, whatever the mind can conceive and make itself believe it can achieve. And that's a process. Right know? on. Yeah, that, you, you just summarized the process, those, uh, those seven plus two steps in three words, right? Thank you, Mr. Hill. Um, yes, indeed. That's, that's a profound statement. So I, I remember my dad, and I was really, really small, barely walking. I would hold a finger. One day he just put a stick there, and then he let me hold a stick, and I kept going because I thought it, I had his hand. All I had was a stick. So I, when I grew up and had kids, I, I repeated that dirty trick. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting. That kind of brings a story to mind. I don't know how old I was. I may have been two or three. But, uh, you know, my mother used to carry me upstairs at night. And then one night, she and my sister, they brought me upstairs. And they stood me in front of the crib and said, okay, climb in. <laughs> and I was baffled. I, I, you know, I didn't do anything. So they kind of, they said, okay, well, you'll climb in or you'll, you'll stand there all night. And I don't know how long I stood there. Uh, turns out they were there watching and it wasn't very long. I climbed up in that crib. So, oh, okay, you know, I, I've either got to do this or it's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I never forgot that. I don't remember much that happened before five. As five gets further away, it's harder to remember what the heck happened. <laughs> but that was something I never forgot. And so a, a lot of life is like that. Indeed. Oh, yeah. That's a great story. So, and that's a big leadership uh, example. Um, so, um, hey, there's Shannon Gronich. We've got a couple of Shannons on the, watching us as we're doing this live. Um, so the, the last one of your five topics for the year, turning unrest into peace, how to divorce yes. your organization 
from the media's promotion of outrage. Now, yes. what you, whatever are you talking about? I'll be delighted to share with you. With the broad spread availability of the internet and mobile devices, the media got out of the news business. And the reason why is the news was available anytime I chose to pick up my mobile device mm -hmm. and read the news from dozens of news sources. And so, the fundamental TV news made a wholesale pivot from news to opinion and entertainment. You watch any of the mainstream news, they are not delivering news, they're delivering opinion, not even fact, ah, opinion. And it's the most hilarious thing. I watch the news now and laugh. I just see it like reality TV. It's completely scripted. Whatever side they're trying to spin it up as, that's just what it is. What's truth? I have no idea anymore. But the challenge is to get people to watch opinion, you have to generate outrage. You have to make people, you have to, you have to go to them and say, isn't this awful? Isn't this unfair? This is just horrible. I can't see how we can even stand doing this anymore. And that outrage then allows you to sit through the commercials for pharmaceutical products that help you fix the outrage. <laughs> you laugh because it's so, true. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, okay. You know, I'm going to give up on messy NBC and Fox noise because it's, it um, is noise. <laughs> You know, I can watch Hannity once a week. It's the same story every night. <laughs> it's just so so here's the thing is that you have to first of all realize that that the news business is really to do one thing. It's not to inform you. It's to sell advertising. Mm -hmm. Pure and simple. Their job is to create a community that wants to be outraged a specific way and to promote that outrage so people feel like something's going on, they feel like something's important. But the reality, my friends, in the world of charitable organizations, we are offering another way of thinking, another way of feeling. We're offering a, a perhaps a better feeling. I mean, I feel way better after going to church than I do after watching the evening news. And that circles back to our number one point today, which is omni-channel. We have to keep providing our message on a regular basis, daily, hourly, morning, evening, to counter all of the outrage that people are being fed from a commercial stream. Wow. And so, so, yes. Wow, go ahead, carry on with that wow. What do you have in mind there, Hugh? Wow. Wow. So where, where people are getting into an emotional state, not a factual thinking um, leadership functioning state, we're going into this. Uh, facts don't matter anymore when it comes to mainstream news. We're, facts in, a, are we're, in, a, we're in a post uh, truth culture. We are. It's really interesting when, when, uh, when we hear comments like the media lies. Well, I watched purposely for several weeks uh, reports on uh, CNN, CBN, PBS, and Fox. They were all different. Yes. So yes. Which, which one's lying? Are they all lying? No, they're not. They're, in fact, none of them are lying. They're presenting their vision of what they want you to believe. Mm -hmm. Facts have nothing to do with anything, and they believe it's true. You, they look you square in the eye through the camera and make you believe that they believe it. And they do.
Otherwise, they couldn't deliver. They couldn't deliver that. But let's circle back to the facts that matter to us and to constituents of our organization. Okay. That's what we need to focus on. We got eight minutes, so we're wrapping up here. So go go. That's a perfect segue. Thank you. Go ahead. Well, I think the, the, the whole point is we need to make sure that our message and our leadership and our direction and our transformation is absolutely clear. And we have to supply at least some rational thinking. Now, when people say, did you hear what, you, did you hear what the news was? And the answer to that is, do you believe it? Well, let's focus on something you can believe. So help pivot people away from buying into something that we keep illustrating over and over again is patently not in alignment with the belief and the worldview that we wish. And we have to substitute the worldview that our tribe wishes to see. Personally, I see humanity as growing, as expanding, as being bigger hearted than ever before. The people in my environment, the people that I bump into, including the folks on the street that ask me for help, are doing better than ever before. My job is to elevate, not to, to outrage. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are way more people that have that desire than ever before. And perhaps that's why Cartoon Network has a higher rating than CNN. It's because we want to feel good. We don't want to feel bad. And as, as charitable organizations, bringing that, that good news to people and giving them things they can do to feel better about themselves and to improve humanity and to improve their tribe is probably the ultimate thing we can bring to our constituents. A couple wow. of things, just to piggyback on what you were saying, just out of my own experience. I was an advertising salesman for WAGM-TV uh, while I was in college. And our most expensive segment were the news slots. So that sort of supports that. And, and that's been the case for quite some time now. That was, that was a few years ago. And the other thing, people are looking to raise their level of consciousness. And, and you know, people, a lot of people are, are, you know, the media likes to exacerbate this idea of taking sides. And one thing that happened to me as a result of my experience working with the Native American tribe is that I became nonpartisan there because the people who are going to help you may be on other sides of the aisle. I was, I was literally more interested in what was going to benefit my tribe right on. Than, than what fit their politics. So what we're talking about really is raising our level of consciousness. And me, for the most part, I've tuned out on, on those things. I can't watch that stuff. Uh, if I do happen to catch glimpses of it, I mean, I, you know, nobody lives out in the middle of nowhere. There are a few people off the grid. But you're going to be exposed to some of the noise. And sure. does that noise matter? We're trying to raise our level of consciousness, and there are people who need our help. And when that's the driving thing, you, you, you learn to play nice with others. You don't have to always agree on everything except who is it that you want to help and how can you get there? You know, you leave all of the ego and the crap uh, on the doorstep and, and come together to, to, to perform a mission. So... 
Right I'm glad you haven't said anything that made me so angry. I have to go uh, put a nasty tweet out. <laughs> <laughs> well, personally, I have account and I I love it. well, personally, I have a positive posting policy. If I can't say something now, nice, I write them a letter and burn it. <laughs> oh, well, I think that you don't mail it. That could get you in a lot of trouble. No, we don't do that. No, 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 no. Don't, don't ever. When you write a letter to somebody for emailing, don't ever put their address in there as you write it. Otherwise, you might by accident send it. Guilty as charged. Oh, the, I think it's good to write letters every once absolutely. in a while. So you yeah. know, us old guys write letters, but hey, you know, you can write letters for you younger folks out there. It's it's, it's a dying art. It's it fun. Is. It is great fun. I wrote myself a letter on New Year's Eve. It's part of our our uh, ritual, is to write ourselves letters that we get we get uh, mid year. What uh, j just to wrap up this segment, I think an important component is what is your core principle as a leader. And then focus on activities that will provide you, provide you and your tribe with those core principles. For me, my core principle is freedom, and everything I do needs to lead me to freedom: freedom of thought, freedom of action, mm -hmm. freedom of life. And from that freedom, then I can serve people. I can't serve people when I am not free, both from a thought standpoint, a physical standpoint, a monetary standpoint. And so I use that personally as my filter. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to say something, I'm going to act in some way. The question is, does this bring me closer to more freedom or does this take freedom away from me? And it could be anything else. It could be oneness. It could be joy. It could be love. It doesn't really matter. All of them boil down to the same situation anyway. Just, just that word resonates with me. And I think ultimately that's what we need to do to bring peace to our tribe. And as strategists, Russell and I encourage people to be very clear on their vision, why they're doing something with the value. And as, as charities, we have to be very good at defining the impact of our work yes. and what difference will it make. And we, we achieve all of that through setting powerful goals. And you've given us a whole lot of ideas for goals. And Russell mentioned him before, and he's, he's looking behind you there. I think that's... Uh, Behind you is Henry Ford. He says, uh, "Actually, that's Edison." But that's Edison. Carry on, carry on. And it's Wizard of Mental Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They um, they they live next door to each other down in uh, Fort Myers. They did. But um, you know, Edison said he never failed. He just found nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine things that didn't work before he been in the light bulb. And Ford said, "Obstacles are what you see when you take your mind off your goals." So they were both dedicated to excellence. And they were both in tune with the, the culture and the trends of their day. Yeah. Mark Smith. I don't know a lot of people with two middle initials. Mark S.A. Smith. You stand out from all those other Mark Smiths. That's the reason why, pal. That way you can find me on Google. They're imposters. <laughs> no, they're so, not imposters. They're just hiding. They're, yeah. <laughs> well, this is really rich in content. So, uh, Russell, you got a closing. We just got about a minute here. You got a closing comment you want to lift here? Hey, Russ, you want to make uh, Okay, it? there we are. I'd like to thank Mark for the thoughts that he dropped. And they, you're, you're sort of preach, preaching to the choir, and it's really about who you are. And that's a message that, that, that has to ring through. Who are you? Who are you? And uh, that way you can connect with the people that, that you're aligned with. I love the alignment. Great comments. Notes in the Cinevision uh, Leadership uh, Webinar Notebook. You, I got the notes from the chat in there. So it'll also be out there for folks to uh, look at. And it's, uh, it's a great day here.
Super. Mark, thank you for being here and sharing your wisdom with us. Always a delight, my friend. Thank you for the invitation to, to, to do so. We've got plenty more in 2018. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.